Well, amen. Good morning, church. It's uh, great to see you this morning. I'm Joe Collins. Welcome to See Me Church. It is great to be together with you today. We are uh, in a series called The Oikos Principle. Actually, we're going to be finishing the series today. The Oikos Principle is the idea that the primary way Jesus spread his message was and still is through the relational world of his followers. That includes you and I. Oikos is Greek for the word household. It's a term to describe the people that we do life with, co-workers, family, friends, classmates, etc. If we were to review what we've been talking about for the past eight weeks or so, we started off with an introduction to the Oikos Principle and what it was really all about. And the challenge was for every one of us to write down the names of people that God has supernaturally supernaturally or strategically placed in your life. Again, your the people you do life with, family, friends, classmates, co-workers, etc. Remember, if we don't write it down, we're not going to do anything with that information. So then we talked about praying for our oikos. Spending time each day going through the names of the people that we wrote down, that the people that God has put on our heart, that he would move in their lives, that they would be open to his movement in their life. And they would begin to start asking questions and want to know more. And then we went from praying for our echoes to investing in our echoes. Remember the idea that no significant conversation can occur without both parties' permission? That's what investing is all about. It's building the relationship with the person in your life so that you can have that conversation when the time presents itself. And then from there, we talked about inviting our oikos. The idea that uh, we, we invite these people, they're in our lives and we invite them to church. And not just church, but we invite them into our relationship with God. And then we talked about preparing ourselves for our oikos. And we spent three weeks on that. And today we're going to be finishing up with part three of preparing ourselves for our oikos. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us together today and for this time. I pray for your spirit to infill us, to empower us, and to Open up wide our hearts to the message that we read in your scriptures to inspire us to be thinking about the people you've put in our life and how we can best prepare ourselves for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been doing a study of 1 Corinthians. The church in Corinth was near and dear to Paul's heart. It was established during his second missionary journey. It was really his first journey that he uh, 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 championed. The letter to 1 Corinthians was written about three years after he left Corinth when he was living in a city called Ephesus, just across the Aegean Sea there from Corinth. And he wrote the letter in response to concerns that people were bringing to him. Members from the church actually traveled to visit Paul from Corinth to Ephesus to talk to him about what was going on in the church. And there was a lot that was going on, and a lot of it wasn't good. And so Paul, in response, wrote 1 Corinthians. Now, when we read the Bible, many of us who have read the Bible and are familiar with it, we sometimes look at 1 Corinthians and we see a bunch of what not to do's. But for our study, we've been looking at the book through the lens of, well, what does it tell us to do? 
And so in chapters 1 through 4, in part 1 of our series, Preparing Yourself for Your Oikos, we saw that the church had a number of issues. One of the big ones was divisions in the church. There were factions, there were cliques, whatever you want to call it. And Paul's solution to that was not more rules. It was more Jesus. Because more Jesus means more unity. It's our shared faith in Jesus that unites us. It's not a set of rules and doctrines and, 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 and ordinances to live by. It's really our shared faith in Jesus. Then in chapters 5 through 13, we talked about this last week, he went through a whole litany of problems, and there were some pretty big problems in the church. And his solution ended in chapter 13, the famous chapter on love. His solution was more love would bring about more healing in the church at Corinth. Today, we're going to be looking at the final three chapters of the book where he deals with immaturity and their lack of motivation. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one who understands, indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. And then later in Verse 20, he says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. Now on the surface, chapter 4 seems to be dealing, chapter 14 seems to be dealing with two big issues. One was the misuse of spiritual gifts, and the other one was dysfunction in their church gatherings. We'll get to that in a second. But the real issue in both cases was a lack of maturity among the fellowship in the church in Corinth. You know, we talked about how weird church is to people, especially someone who may come for the first time or someone who hasn't been in a long time. And it is a strange and unusual environment to sit in. The church in Corinth took that weirdness to an entirely new level. It seems that there were members in the church who were supernaturally, and I'm going to explain this in a minute, but they were supernaturally gifted to speak in tongues, other languages. We're not talking about gibberish. We're talking about actual human languages. They just translated it into the word tongues, but it means languages. It seems that those in particular who were gifted in that way to have this miraculous ability to speak a foreign language, it seems that they were in particular misusing their gift. It's an interesting study. One day maybe we'll do it. But in the early days of the Christian church, the Holy Spirit saw fit to gift people in various places or in, in various fellowships around the, uh, the, the world at the time, the Holy Spirit gifted them with a miraculous ability 
uh, in, in a, a number of different ways, which included, but weren't limited to things like healing, things like prophecy, things like wisdom, administration, leadership, and things like speaking foreign languages. Now, these gifts only lasted for a short time. They were of limited duration because as the, the church grew and as the letters that were being written by the various apostles and church leaders were being circulated and then compiled, the need for these gifts faded away. But before that happened in the city of Corinth, there were a number of members in the church who had been gifted by the Holy Spirit the ability to act or perform these functions in a miraculous way. Could you imagine if you could just suddenly speak Italian without ever knowing Italian or French or German or something else? I mean, and you could actually kind of turn it off and on. You could decide to speak it or not. The funny thing about sometimes is you weren't always gifted with the ability to interpret that language, which is even funnier to me that the Holy Spirit did stuff like that. So there would have to be someone else with the ability to understand what you were saying to interpret it so the rest of the fellowship could understand it. You think, what a weird gift. Why would the Holy Spirit do that? Well, I'm not going to get into it all. We can do a study or a lesson on it another time. But basically, when the gospel was spreading throughout the Roman Empire, it needed to be able to be communicated in native languages. And not everybody spoke the native languages. And so the Spirit allowed people the miraculous ability to do so. And so it was really a gift for evangelism. It was a way to spread the gospel to, play po to parts unknown. And you might have the gift to interpret, so if you're friends with you, you can tell them, well, hey, now I'm telling this, and then translate, now I'm telling this. But sometimes you didn't have that ability, so your friend would have to do that, and he would tell you what you're saying. Oh, by the way, you just told him this. You know, I, I don't know how it worked. But uh, it was a very strange thing. And then there were other gifts of healing, and, and like I said, of administration, of... There was a whole bunch of these, and they were for a limited time and of limited duration. But what was happening in the church in Corinth is that there were those who were misusing the gifts. In other words, the gifts became important to them. It was their time to shine. They wanted to show off their gifts. They wanted to show people, look at me, look what I can do. What's that guy? Look what I can do. I forget that guy from uh, Mad TV. Stuart, look what I can do. Remember that guy? They were acting like children in the use of these gifts. And you could imagine this would create some competition between people. This would create some animosity between people. And for newcomers, it was just weird. What is happening here? Which is why Paul says in verse 1, follow the way of love. That is a command in the Greek. And then he says, and I suggest or I encourage you to desire gifts of the Spirit. You see, for Paul, love was the motivation and the purpose of these gifts. It was for the benefit of others, not for yourself. And so how great it was that you may have had this gift and good for you and we need it. 
but it's for other people that we use our gifts. It's not for our, your self-benefit. No wonder in verse 20, he finally says to them, stop thinking like children. Grow up. You know, we've all been gifted in various ways. Not miraculously. That that manifestation of the Holy Spirit has faded. In some cases, you have wonderful gifts that are amazing and they seem miraculous to me. Your ability to sing or perform or whatever it is that you do well at, it looks miraculous to us as outsiders. It's not a, a miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit, but it is a gift from God given to you for the purpose of the benefit of other people. To benefit other people. It's not so you can shine. It's not so you can draw attention to yourself. Never mind the fact that the greatest gift we've been given is the love of God. And that is the greatest gift we can give to someone else. And so whenever you use your gifts, maybe a better word in our context is talents. Whenever you have your talent and you put your talent to use, it's really for the benefit of other people. It's not so that you can stand out. And if your talent is not needed in a moment, in in a situation, then it's best to withhold it. Because the mature person realizes that we're doing this for someone else's benefit, not for mine and not for yours. Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or, or the most at three should speak one at a time. Someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. In other words, you can talk Italian to yourself all day long. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So now Paul turns his attention to this issue of dysfunction that developed within the gatherings there at Corinth. And it was related to the misuse of their gifts. It was a different subject, but it was, it was a different issue, but the same subject. Maturity. He's still talking to them about maturity. Now, it seems from what I can glean in this passage that there was no logical flow. There was no rhyme or reason to their gatherings. Apparently, people were speaking out of turn. Others were speaking at the same time. Others were frequently interrupting. You could imagine if people are trying to compete using their gifts in a room like this, and we've got this person talking, and this person talking, and this person talking, and then someone saying, hey, wait, I didn't understand. I want to hear. You could see the chaos that was going on in these worship services, in these gatherings. And so the whole experience became this big, confused mess. No wonder in verse 40, Paul said everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. I have a question for you. You can just shout out an answer. What makes a quality worship experience for you? What is it about worship you really uh, benefit from? Singing. Singing. The message. The fellowship. What was that? Leadership. Leadership. 
I'm sure you, we, we could go on and on, right? These are all good things. And, and I would agree. These are great ways in which a, a, a gathering should benefit. And, and there should be logic and order and rhyme and reason to those things. In verse 26, Paul gives us a list of things that were important to him. He says here, hymns, instruction, revelation, and tongues, and interpretation. Again, in the context of his day, that was a miraculous thing. We're not focused on that. But if we had a Spanish translation, for instance, we should work to make sure that that is in harmony with what we're doing. They shouldn't be translating their own thing. But if you compare Paul's list to other verses in the Bible, some by Paul, some by other people, we actually get a pretty clear picture of what a quality worship should look like. And so let's do a little Bible uh, journey here. Colossians 4, scripture reading, that should be included. 1 Corinthians 14, prayer, well, of course. Ephesians 5, singing. Acts 20, communion. 1 Corinthians 16, offerings. Acts 2, fellowship. And here, everything should sort of flow together. It should fit. It should be done in a proper, mature way. Here's the point. How we worship, how we do church matters. It's important. It's not just a time to come in and let anybody speak whenever and however they want and over the, over the opinion of someone else or over the voice of someone else. And at the same time, that's not what church should look like. It should actually have rhyme and reason. It should actually include these things and flow in a direction. A quality worship service doesn't happen by accident. And I want to thank our leadership in this church. Every one of them who serves, especially on Sunday, but whether it's Sunday morning or at a, or at a family group or at a marriage retreat, every, everyone that's involved on that level, you are doing God's will. You are helping put together a mature and orderly and fitting service for the people who attend. And I want to thank you from the setup to the takedown, the worship team, the sound, the video guys, all of it. You're doing a tremendous job, and it's, it is part of God's will. It is part of God's work to do these things. But they don't happen by accident. They require a level of maturity and a level of orchestration, a level of involvement and motivation to, to, to put it all together. I think in Simi Church, we have a great worship experience. Every Sunday I come and I am, I'm so inspired by the, by the singing. And we've tried to organize our service with a flow. We start with worship that includes the singing and the scripture reading and the prayer and the communion and the offering. And then we lead, lean into the preaching, which includes the instruction and the non-miraculous forms of revelation and prophecy. Uh, you know, in other words, truth telling. And then both ends are bookended by some great fellowship. Really is tremendous to be a part of a church that that puts focus on that, that puts emphasis on that, and to make it quality, to make it worth your while. We want to keep doing that. And so I have a request of you. If any of you has the time, we are always in need of more setup and take down people. We are always in need of more people to participate in the worship team, musicians, singers. 
We are always in need of people to teach classes, high school, junior high, kids kingdom. We want to start a, I don't have a word for it yet, uh, the best word I could come up with Frank gave me was guest services cart, I guess. We want to start something where a person who's new can after service or before can, can stop by, get some information, find out a little bit more about us, maybe have a cup of coffee. We want to start something like that to enhance the fellowship and the experience here, but it's going to require help. People who are willing to step up, give a little bit of their time, put a little bit of their talent on the table in a mature way and make our gatherings even better. If you're interested, please contact me or my wife, Lynette. We are seriously wanting people to be involved. And I'm going to say this. I'm not excluding the old guys, okay? John Teal is an old guy. And he serves faithfully in our ushering, and I love him and appreciate him. But there's a lot of young people who I would really love to see step up, to participate in what we do here on a Sunday morning, or even at a family group, or even at different events. Step up. We want to make room for you. You can sing. You can, you can perform. Maybe you can speak. Let me know. We want to put you to work to God's work, to create a great worship experience. In addition to maturity, Paul in chapter 15 starts talking to them about motivation. Now, I'm going to pause for a second because I I need you to focus on this. Chapter 15 is every bit as significant in the book of 1 Corinthians as the famous chapter 13, the chapter of love never fails. Chapter 15 is every bit as important. Some of the most beautiful words ever written, ever put on paper are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The whole chapter is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming resurrection that as believers we will experience as well. It's an incredibly powerful chapter. And to be quite frank with you, I cannot do any better. I cannot add to it in any way to make it better. It's so good that in my preparation for this, I I, I read it so many times, I'm like, we just need to read this chapter. Just sit and listen to the Holy Spirit speak through our brother Paul the Apostle about the resurrection. You know, in the Corinth church, there were, there were concerns about the resurrection. Some weren't sure if it ever happened at all. Some were, un, were confused about how it would happen. And others were wondered why it mattered. Well, in chapter 15, Paul answers every one of those questions and a whole lot more when it comes to the resurrection. So if you'll indulge me, I'm going to do my best to read it. And I want to ask you to say a short prayer. I'll give you 30 seconds. But a short prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to open up your heart, your ears, and to hear the power of Paul's soliloquy. I don't know the word for it. Paul's sermon here on the resurrection. Let's let's pray quietly for a minute, and then I'll start reading.
Verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I have received, I have passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and after that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whatever then is it is it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are to be pitied. But Christ has indeed raised, been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But in each turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. And when he hands over the kingdom of God, the Father after he had, to the Father after he has uh, destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, when the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Now, if there's no resurrection, what do those who are baptized for the, what will those who are baptized for the dead? What will those who do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people, people baptized for them? And for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour. I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus uh, with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If, I, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some of you who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed. 
perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another. Fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun is one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be within the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven, as was the earthly man. So are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also those who are of heaven. And just as if we have, we have become the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the imperishable must close itself with the, for the perishable must close itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with the, with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that in your labor, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. According to Paul, the resurrection was gospel. In English, we call that good news. For those who doubt that it happened, there were over 500 witnesses, including Paul, and there were no deniers. For those who who couldn't understand how it could happen, look no further than a seed turning in to a beautiful plant. And for those who wondered why it mattered, without it, there would be no point in our faith. Let me say that again. Without the resurrection, there would be no point to our faith. The resurrection is more than just than good news. It is everything. We must never doubt that it happened or worry about how it's going to happen or stop believing it will happen to you and to the people in your oikos. This is what motivates me. The chance at being raised to life eternal and the chance that my children and those that I, those that I love will be raised with me. This is why I do what I do. This is why Paul does what he does. And this is why we go to all the trouble to prepare ourselves 
for our oikos. We do it because we love them and we want to see them in life forevermore. A few years ago, I uh, invited this guy out to church. He wasn't interested. I asked him why, and he told me that he had just been drafted by the Dodgers to pitch for them. You know, that was pretty cool. And as cool as that was, though, I, I actually felt sorry for him. Because that's all it was. It was cool. The resurrection is way cooler than pitching for the Dodgers. It's way cooler than anything this life has to offer. And it's my belief in that that motivates me to do what I do. To prepare myself for the people I love. To tell them about the resurrection. Now, those of you that are mature in this room understand what I'm saying. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most significant and important event in all of history. Because without it, there would be no salvation. Nothing matters more than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we prepare ourselves for our oikos, the last thing that I want to leave you with is the more we are mature, we understand the resurrection, the more we're motivated to do the work that God has put out for us. We're going to close out now in chapter 16. Just a few concluding remarks and then we'll be done. Verse 1, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian church to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable to me to go also, then they will accompany me. So in chapter 16, Paul kind of closes out with some business items. He talks about a collection that he had asked the churches to give for the church in Jerusalem. There was apparently a, a hardship going on in Jerusalem and they needed some support. And so he asked the Gentile churches basically to raise a collection and support them. And then he gave some information about his, his final travel plans. And the thing I take away from this is how important it is for us as Christians to stay connected to the larger body of Christ. You know, we're not the only Christians in the world that are sitting in this room. There are Christians all over the world. We're not the only church that has Christians in it. There are other churches with Christians in them. They do exist. They are out there. And it's really important for us to stay connected, if, if, if nothing else in spirit, with those brothers and sisters around the world. We do this most significantly in our fellowship through our missions offering. Every year in May, we do a missions offering. In our family of churches, the Simi Church, the Shoreline Church, we have two mission fields that we send funds to. The first one is in Eurasia, Moscow, Russia, and some of the uh, former uh, Soviet republics that are connected. And then we also send a good chunk of money 
to the Baltic Nordic mission field. That's kind of Scandinavia and that part of the world. I was thinking about this morning, it's bizarre, but in my lifetime, one became atheist, the other is becoming out of atheism. It's pretty strange to think about that, but, but they're still very atheistic parts of the world, and it's a very difficult mission field. And what we do, even the little bit that we give, goes a long way to fund the ministers over there so they can do the work and tell people about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So please, have it on your heart. May, I think it's 21st, our missions contribution, it's in May sometime, save up the money, be generous. Whatever we collect that day, we'll put together, we'll send it off. This year, we're going to send the largest chunk to the Nordic Baltic churches, then we're going to send some to the Eurasian churches, and then we have a very small amount that we're going to keep and send out to the what we call the Southwest family of churches because here in the Southwestern United States, we'd like to also plant churches. There are also mission fields right here, and so we want to support the San Luis Obispo mission team that was planted a couple years ago, and by the way, they're doing great. We want to keep helping them. We want to help support Bakersfield, which we did uh, 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 last year, and, and, and new church plantings in that geographic area as well. And then anything that goes over our, our goal, our goal is 25000 We're going to divide it up. Anything that goes over that, we want to keep locally here in Simi Shoreline to support our mission work. Whether that looks like new interns or whatever, I don't know. But we want to support our mission work here too as we try to grow God's kingdom in this part of the world as well. My point though is we got to stay connected to those outside. Another way in which we connect to the greater world is what Dana shared about today, hope. She did a great job. I'm so thrilled that Dana got the job with hope. How great is that? It's actually a temporary job. She's, she's sacrificing quite a bit because uh, it's only, at this point, sponsored for about a year. And uh, I don't know if it'll get re-sponsored for another year. It's not meant to be a full-time, ongoing job to begin with. So she's kind of taken a pause in her career to do this. I'm grateful she is. She was my first choice, by the way. And I really uh, uh, encouraged her to look into it. It's a big pay cut, but she's doing it. And uh, how great is it that she's going to be able to spearhead a way in which to mission love or to, 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 to be Jesus to the community around us. And so we can support hope by giving to hope as well. And you can do all this through our website, seemechurch.org. Just click on the give button and there's a drop down menu. You can choose how you want to give, whatever. But I really want to encourage you to be thinking about missions and hope as a way to connect like Paul wanted the Corinthian church to do, connect to the world of Christians and of believers and of people that are outside our doors. The final thing, and we'll close here. Paul writes this in verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Paul picks up a pen. He had a secretary basically write most of the letter, and then he picked up and just put the benediction, I think that's what you call that, and the end of the letter in his own hand. It was a way of validating that the letter was from him. He didn't do all the writing, but he did the last part. And he makes this statement, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. <laughs> it is 
so meaningful when you understand the whole book of 1 Corinthians and all that was going on in the church and all the message that he was pushing to them through his letter about unity, about Jesus, about love, about healing, about maturity, and about motivation. And at the end of all that, if you can't get that, if you can't figure out that this is about loving God and loving people and there's nothing more important than that, then there's not much more I can say. So on that note, we're going to conclude our series, The Oikos Principle, and our preparing ourselves for our Oikos. If you'd like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it all starts with the ABCs. Admit you're a sinner who needs to be saved. Believe that Jesus is Lord and covenant with him at baptism. If you want to know more, ask the person who brought you out. Talk to my wife and I. We would love to tell you more. If you're not ready, we just want to welcome you back next Sunday. Keep coming. You are absolutely welcome here as long as it takes because we want this to be a place where people belong. At this time, we're going to stand on up. We're going to go arm in arm. And we're going to close out in a word of prayer. You can go across the aisles if you want. That's a great idea. Next Sunday, Gio's going to come on up. He's going to preach to us. He's going to do a message about, a message about missions. And I know that's going to be a great time. And then uh, I've invited Ron Quint to come out. Those of you who know him, he's going to be out the following week. Then we got Easter. So we got a lot going on in April. But we're going to close out now with a word of prayer, and you'll be dismissed and enjoy some fellowship. Father, thank you so very much for the challenge that you put before us to love you, to, re to reciprocate the love that you've given us, and to give it to others. Thank you so much for our mission, our mission of love, to love you and to love others, and for the plan of Oikos, to, to, to bring the message of Jesus to the people that matter to us, to begin there, the people that are in our lives. And I pray, God, that we, we take it to heart, that as a church, we leave here and we launch into the world. We don't, we don't just land, but we launch into the world and spread, and, and, and spread the message of Jesus to, to everybody uh, that's in our, in our world. Thank you so very much for the resurrection. What an amazing miracle. And we look so forward to the day that we experience the resurrection. It's going to be an amazing and glorious day. And we ask God to give us the motivation to tell as many people that we possibly can about it. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.